My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. No matter how bad it gets, just know that you can and will recover. It takes work. It takes hard work. Each week, we talk in detail about what it takes to make it, what it takes to beat your addictions. I am a recovering addict from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. My addiction started in eighth grade. I am now 50. I had over 40 years of very bad habits to break. I hit rock bottom hard. More than once, I nearly died. I would have left my wife and two young children behind. I've been clean and sober for nearly three years. I completely dismantled my entire life and rebuilt it from the ground up. I believe to make it in recovery, it takes a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It takes a positive mindset. It takes hard work. It takes a village. Join me weekly to learn from my sober superhero guests on the Dismantle Life podcast. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcast. Check me out at dismantle.life. Email me at anthony at dismantle.life anytime. Please be sure to leave a rating and review anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And let me know if you want to be on the show. Happy recovery. What was life like before you were full throttle <laughs> with the addiction? Uh, some people have really different answers to that question. And I'm just always curious how things started out for you. Okay. So I will tell you this. I, I was just thinking about this before I came on here. And I was thinking about, I remember when I got pregnant, I was, 20, I had my children at 25, I had twins. Um, I remember when I got pregnant, I was like, in my my mind said, you, you're not going to be able to drink for nine months. <laughs> I mean, I remember that was one of the first things I thought of. And I wasn't right. full-blown alcoholic. I mean, I partied, I was young, you know, we drank a lot. Um, I drank my way through college um, because for me, my drinking early on help me help me feel like I was part of everyone else. And I was I fit in the crowd. And, you know, our family moved from Detroit to Cincinnati when I was almost 17 years old. And I went from a public school to a Catholic school from a working class, middle class neighborhood to a much nicer neighborhood. And I think at that point, the alcoholism, even though I wasn't fully drinking yet, was already in tow. I get that. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, life-changing events like that are, are are big. And and it's funny when you say you drank because that's what everybody else was doing. And I think that that's a big deal. And I, being sober, and my wife drinks like a glass of wine or two, like yeah. once every few months or something. It's 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 inconsequential for the most part. I mean, right. it's, it's not a – and it's only – and I'm not justifying it. She can do what she wants. She's a grown woman. And it's it, 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 my addiction, not hers. But but she's not the kind of drinker anymore like we used to be. Ran, we used to rampage together. And now I don't – I mean, I'm sober, almost going on three years. And she just drinks literally socially very far and few between. We just had a wedding this past weekend, and she drank a little bit there. But before that, it had been months. And I, I say that because – I think you get caught in the current of alcoholism sometimes hanging out with your friends because I think that it's in people make their own choices, but I think it lends itself well to just doing what the crowd does. 
Pitbull says it best. <laughs> show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think that that's a perfect example. And I, this is not me talking poorly about anyone's friends or group of friends or who they hang out with. But if all of your friends are drinking, it's weird if you're not. And that's the feeling that most people get. At least I certainly did. I mean, yeah. I started in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, so my rampaging started, I'm almost 50 now. I'm, I'm going to be 50 in about a month. Uh, maybe two months here, December. Welcome to the 50s. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you know what's funny, Pamela, is I am in better health and better shape now at 50 than I was my entire life, save about two years in high school when I was you know, wrestling and super active and athletic and everything. And I am in better shape now than I have in my entire life. And it's because I am not drinking, smoking, doing cocaine. That's the largest big part of it. But the other side of it is I'm, I'm I'm active, uh, both physically and, and mentally and, and spiritually in lots of different ways. So it's cleansing in a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to detract from, from no, your story. but it's that's fine, totally fine. That's, um, I think that people get caught in the current of alcoholism. And that is just, I'm not, you know, I feel like I'm making that up. But that's just something I, I do believe that. And I also think that people forget sometimes that kids – younger children will do what their parents or people that they know will do. So when people say things like it's five o'clock somewhere, Uh, it's, you know, it's happy hour or brunch. And again, parents are people too. But what I'm saying is those things stick a little harder than you might think. My children, they, you know, they they pick up on things that you cannot believe they've picked up on, as you know, and those, those are the kind of tells or trigger. I'm not going to call them triggers, but those kind of things, that you say and do, or when you go to birthday parties and there's three times as much booze than presents for a five-year-old, it's Mm. interesting to me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you know, my mother always would say you are who your friends are. Definitely. And it's that same concept. Like, but you know, back when I was in, I, where I, when I was in college, I went to Xavier university in Cincinnati and, um, Everybody was drinking. First of all, the drinking age was you could get three, two beer, you know, that. Sure. You know, so you'd have to drink a ton of it. But I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to drink a case of it to catch a buzz. But yeah. It, but you did or you would try to buy the real stuff. But but right. it was it was so prevalent. I mean, like people had kegs everywhere. I mean, it was part of the deal. Yeah. It was part of being a student, really. This is a little off topic, but I, I do have it's to say okay. one thing about Cincinnati that I love, and that's Skyline Chili. I don't know what, how you feel about it, <laughs> but my goodness, every time I go there, I am not kidding. I eat there five times. If I'm there for three yeah. days, three of my meals are there. And I say that because was, I, I couldn't stop thinking. I had to say it, otherwise it would just always be bouncing off the, the the front of my mind the entire conversation. But I don't know what it is about that. And people are like, you like it? I'm I love Skyline Chili. Yeah. You love the cinnamon in it. I think that's what it is. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's that delicious. That is what it is. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So good. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to try. No, if um, you're ever in Cincinnati, stop by and I'll treat you. <laughs> I would love that. I will, I'll, I'll pick you up on that for sure. Okay. Um, but that being said, so yeah. you get, you're, you know, you're in, in Xavier and, you know, the three, two beer splits and you're drinking and, um, and that's just what people did. And I, and I get it. And so then you're pregnant at 25, twins at 25. Yep. And the first thing that comes to mind is that, oh my, I won't be able to drink for nine months. Yeah. So I'm wondering, did you start up again after the babies were born and kind of get back into the rhythm of that? Okay. You know, I don't know something really interesting. 
I didn't really start going off the rails till my boys were in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, if my parents had the, my boys overnight when they were little or whatever, we went away. Oh my God, I partied my fanny off. Right. <laughs> but I somehow managed and actually the count, I ended up going to rehab and one of my counselors there told me that sometimes the mother bear instinct overrides the alcohol instinct for a certain period of time. And I do believe that that's what happened to me that once, you know, I partied, you know, we'd go out and drink or, you know, and I always excessively drank, do not get me wrong, but I, I managed it. I managed it. And then once they were in high school, they played football and lacrosse. And once they were 16, I didn't, I wasn't responsible in terms of getting them places and stuff. So I, it, it, that's when it began. Hmm. I I finally kind of let go and let the alcohol ride. Okay. I'm good. That's super interesting. I've never heard that before, but I totally get that. The mama bear instinct is in control, so to speak, until the mama bear instinct is not needed because the babies can take care of the babies, but 16, 17 year old children. That makes a lot of sense to me. I totally get that because some, um, I don't have the exact same experience, but when my kids go away to my mom's for a day or two, I don't go pick up the, the bottle anymore because I'm not, but when they were gone, holy hell that I hit it hard. Yeah. So I totally get what you're saying. Um, that's super interesting to me. And then, so you're off the rails. Then the kids are old enough to do their thing. I get that. And you know, I, I'm, I have to say, cause I deal with a lot of women. I sponsor a lot of women younger now with little mm-hmm. kids. And I, I always thank God every day. I'm like, thank God they weren't two years old and I was passed out. You know, I, I yeah. thank God for that. Definitely. Cause it happens and it could have happened to me. I don't know. I got lucky. First of all, th- there's all kinds of blessings buried in alcoholism that people don't realize until they get sober, things that they've gotten away with or that they survived. Um, and they have to be grateful for those things. Um, I'm grateful for a lot of things every day that I, you know, I shouldn't have survived to be quite frank. I I shouldn't be here talking with you today because of a lot of stupid shit that I've done. And I'm grateful for my guests that come on and share their stories and are frank about the reality of that, where there are times or things like you said, that thankfully it wasn't when your children were so young that, you know, it could have been much worse. Yeah, it could have. It still affected them. Do not get me wrong. Cause I was yeah. drinking when they were in high school and they knew, but you know, I'm just lucky. That's all. Definitely. So how does that, cause that's one of the things I struggle with. Like how, what do I, how do I talk to my children? Because I I'm, I'm dealing with my, my oldest is starting to ask questions. He's asked to come on the show and he wants to be uh-huh. a part of the podcast. And I want him to be the, I want him to be on the podcast, but I don't know how to, have him be a guest without seeming like I'm exploiting my son. I don't know how better to describe that. Yeah. And I'm afraid I'd love, I want him to have a voice and I want him to share what he experienced because that's only fair. And I have to take my medicine to be, to be clear. I have to take my medicine and there's medicine to be taken for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I struggle sometimes with how best to do that responsibly as his father. And then how frankly can I speak to him? Do I talk about cocaine the way I do on the show normally? Do I not? As I, 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 do I mince words? Do I not? I wonder sometimes because it's all in there and I'm waiting for it. Hopefully, hopefully um, my recovery has taught good lessons as well as the bad lessons I've taught him when I was struggling. Yeah. And now you're, you're a changed man and he sees that. 
And I think, I think if you hit them, I don't think it's really exploiting. I think it's just like any other alcoholic being honest. And he would be honest about his experience with his father because, you know, we suffer and we're in the darkness, but so are they, they, they live it like we do just in a different way. It's very true. And I'm so ashamed. And that's one of the biggest struggles for me is dealing with, I let them down. I did to them exactly what happened to me with my father. And Mm. I'm not talking shit about my father. I mean, but I'm saying, because I made my own choices, right? I mean, my my own choices to do what I did. Right. But I feel bad that I did, knowing full well how that impacted me as as a kid. I did that to my kids. Thankfully, as you mentioned earlier, that it was blessings in that your children weren't terribly young. I'm, I'm blessed that I stopped myself before... I guess I got off the ride. It's the only way I can describe it. They're eight and five, and I got off the mm. ride three years ago. So I, I, I'll take a little solace in that. I'm yeah. not proud of myself, but I take some solace in the fact that I that I, I changed directions for their for that's when they were it. young. When they were young, so yeah, that's great. So, Good for you because I mean they they are going to have a, an incredible life because of it. I mean, so many children suffer. Um, there's actually a uh, chapter in my book that talks about when I was in rehab, I really just, I don't know why, but I want to say this is when I was in rehab, this counselor said, we prayed at the end of a group session and he said, and for all those who had no choice, and he was talking about the children and my immediate mind went to, well, those are all the kids in the crack houses and the, like, I, honestly, that's what I sure. thought. And then one minute later, I'm sobbing and I realized, what are you, Pam? You were doing it. Yeah. And you hurt your children. And that was a big epiphany for me. Oh, definitely. I in that that's been the hardest thing for me. And I I and I agree. A lot of times through my recovery, I've said I, I or when I was rather let me re-explain that. When I was actively using. I would say, I can't be that bad because I'm not like so-and-so or I'm not doing it like that, which is all just a bunch of bullshit, right? I mean, I'm covering and I'm making excuses or justifying my own crap. Right. And I think that that's a knee-jerk reaction. So I, I think that um, that clarity, that breakdown, if you will, is is very welcomed. Um, I, I, I'm working with some friends of mine that are struggling with some issues of their own of late about some breakdowns or struggles around alcoholism and I never tell them what to do. I just listen to them and, and I'm not going to say sponsor. That's, that's not a, the right term, but I, I'm always willing to listen and, and offer not advice, but some opinion, mm-hmm. if you will, about some of the struggles, because I've, I've lived it pretty hard for the last three years. And I think that sometimes those moments of clarity are, are, they're not welcomed quite frankly, when they're happening, a lot of times it's pretty mm-hmm. ugly stuff, but, but when you're done, that moment of relief washes over you and it's worth every second. Yes. It's freeing. It really it, is. It brings you to the next step. It brings you to the, you know, the next thing, the next thing to deal with and so on. So, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm sorry to keep detracting from, from, okay. from your story. It's uh, good. I, oh, that's okay. We're going to go where we go. It's all good. Your kids are older. You're off the rails. What, what does that look like for you day to day? Are you, uh, how, how often, how much, and where okay. are you drinking? So what happened was, you know, in high school, what I, okay, so I was writing a World War II book at the time, and it was a great thing to hide behind. Um, So I remember I decided to kill off a character that I didn't plan on killing off, and I just decided, and this is where I think I was beginning to cross the threshold. I thought, oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine. It was maybe one in the afternoon, 
because it's so sad. I'm going to kill this character off. And from there on in, I mean, I felt that like afternoon tranquility, my worries went away, you know, and I just felt really good. And so then what I was able to do was do that and then stop at like 4.30, 5 o'clock, make dinner, you know, they come home, you know, do all that stuff you do with your kids, talk about their day. And then when they would go back to bed, I could have more wine or beer or whatever. And then yeah. eventually they went away to college and twins. So they both went away at the same time. And I was still doing my book. And, and I remember day one, I was like, I am completely alone. Here we go. <laughs> and from there on in those, you know, their four years in college, I, I remember buying my first pint of vodka then I then after a year or so, it was two pints. Then, you know, then years, you know, this went on for about, I'm trying to think like six. Yeah. So it went on while they were in college. And then by the time they were out of college uh, and they were really on their own, I proceeded to move to bigger bottles yeah. and I hid bottles everywhere. And by the end. I was drinking a fifth of vodka a day. Yep. And I and I'm five foot one. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't showering. I my husband had tried all these interventions. I couldn't stop. And I mean, I was terrified. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna stop. Something's wrong with me. All these years I had done tried to do right. I was a very dutiful person. And all of a sudden there I was, stuck in vodka. It was horrible. That climb is yeah. a familiar story where it starts out with a little bit and then that little bit keeps gradually growing to be more and more. And then all of a sudden you realize that your cart is full at the liquor store for the day, yeah. uh, if you will. And that I think that's a familiar story for many of the guests that have been on the show where you don't even realize how far you've fallen yeah. um, until you take stock. And I it got one of the things that used to always make me aware of how bad I was is a recycling day when I would bring out right. three full bins of bottles, beer bottles, whiskey bottles, vodka bottles, and people didn't know it. I mean, at least on the street anyway, my wife knew because you think you're hiding it well, but you're not, but jammed with bags of empty, well, empty bags of cocaine inside the cans and the bottles and stuff because you think you're being smooth, but you're, you're just not, right? So it's, it's interesting that, that that progression, that climb is – it's the tiny little steps. People don't realize that it's happening where all of a sudden you pour a little bit more in your drink mm -hmm. and you're putting a little bit less soda water. And all of a sudden it's just the rocks pour. And then all of a sudden it's just out of a flask and a jacket. Yeah. And at least that was my story. But um, so I, I, I totally get that. And then all of a sudden you're like, how the hell am I going to get better? What the hell did I do? Well, and you know, the thing was, I, I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt like I was the only one in the world doing this. Yes. Because I was a home drinker. You know, I was a I was a home drinker. And then I became a morning drinker. You know, yeah. and and I I I'm like, how did this happen? You know, I put myself through college. I breezy like I did I in my mind, you know, I thought I had done everything right, of course. We all do. And then all of a sudden you're loading up on all this vodka and you're you're like, holy crap. It's scary. It is scary. I wasn't a morning drinker. I was. I used to do cocaine in the morning, oddly mm. enough. 
I would hit that in the morning and then I would hit that all day until it was what I thought a reasonable time to start drinking without getting glances. And then I would, what I would do is ladder down from the Coke with all the alcohol and I would drink until, you know, from five until the kids went to bed, the kids went to bed, then I really hit it hard. So I, I yeah. think that, you know, whatever people are doing or whatever they're abusing, they have those traits where you all of a sudden find yourself in a spot where you can't believe it. And I, like you thought when it got to the point where, well, I ended up in the hospital. So there were some other things that had happened, but for me, I'm like, I, I would have those moments of drunken clarity. I'll call it when I started to have the, the pangs of regret and what am I doing? My life's mm-hmm. in the shitter. Of course you don't care, right? You just look for the next bottle or drink right. or shot or rip. And I would do that, but then I would think like, how did I get here? Am I the only one doing this? I have to be the only one doing this. You realize that it doesn't matter. You have to save yourself, but you do feel all alone. It's really strange. And I was a, I was a social drinker for a very long time. And then I took a hard left turn where I was almost exclusively, I wasn't going out because I couldn't drink enough out to just to get drunk. So I would stay home and drink so I could feel good about it. So strange to say that, but that's the dark turn that I took. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, you know, I, I always call it living in the bleak crawl space of inhumanity because it it's like you're not human anymore. I can't possibly, you know, and then like for me, as I'm drinking, 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 I'm like getting vindictive about my life. Like my parents made me move when I was almost 17 and I had eye surgery when I was two and I don't really, this eye is not very good. And Miss Tokarski locked me in the coat room when I was in you know, six years old. I mean, I, I mean, I developed and all of that stuff is true, but boy, did it grow. Right. Totally <laughs> get it. Your narrative, your self-inflicting narrative gets really ugly and you start to try to cross justify everything. If this happened, therefore I can justify this, that I'm, what I'm going through. Yep. I did the same thing. And for a very long time, I blamed my father unfairly. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was an alcoholic and yes, he had issues of his own, but those the choices that I made were my own. And then when I came to terms with that, finally, I was able to get sober and put things down. But I had to love and forgive him in order for that to happen. If no one's lived through that, it's hard to describe. It's hard to explain because he was my crutch of alcoholism and drug addiction for so long. Wow. And so in order to put that down, I had to forgive him and he deserved to be forgiven. He didn't make me who I was. He, right. he didn't. I mean, it's just crap. People, the one thing that I'll tell people listening is you have to take ownership for everything. Yeah. I even try to go a little further in my in my recovery and try to put every issue in my life into a problem of my own so that therefore I can then try to solve it. Not every problem is solvable, but I make it that way so that I, I own the issue. I don't blame other people. Mm-hmm. So I try to make every... And I'm not sure if that's even a good strategy or not, but I try to do that because it gives me at least the strength to face it then mm-hmm. instead of pointing at it. There's right. a big difference in my head for that kind of, I don't like to justify or accept the the blame. I like to own the problem. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but that's, yeah. that's, that, that's how I try to handle things. Uh, I have to say that it's worked pretty well for me. I don't know if that's a good strategy or not, but it's worked, it's worked well for me. Well, you know, I remember, you know, doing step four and then five with my sponsor and and talking about the move and how I felt like those students didn't accept me and they didn't, you know, I was very different from them. Detroit was very different from Cincinnati. And I, and I know I had, I was a different kind of girl that they were used to, but, and I blamed them all and they wouldn't accept me and they made fun of my ex and all that stuff. And my sponsor's like, 
what you know you know you write down what role did you play and she's like well did you try to be friends with them did you like put right. yourself no i was like immediately my door shut down the minute they started you know talking or not accepting me as much or i didn't even give them a chance it shut down i isolated my senior year that was it yeah so i was part of the problem oh yeah definitely get that so then you are struggling right you're drinking all day, every day, not to put words in your mouth, but I'm just kind of, yeah. Kind of yeah. Oh yeah. And then what was that? Was there a moment um, that made you say, all right, that this is, I've had enough. Um, wh- what was the turning point? for Okay. You? So it, it, it'll go like this. Um, first of all, like about four months prior to me surrendering, I had put my car in the garage and I, um, Sat in the car for over an hour with the key in the ignition because I knew I I knew I was in a bad place. Couldn't imagine living without it, but couldn't couldn't live with it anymore. By the grace of God, I did not um, turn that key. Hmm. So I knew, you know, by that point, I'm not showering. I mean, my husband has tried everything, several interventions. Once when my boys came home, I mean, we had been through a lot of stuff. He was pretty much just just living there with me. And that was it. So then there was this weekend. It was a Friday. Can't even tell you how much I drank. I don't know. I passed out, never heard him come home, woke up Saturday. I I probably should have went to the hospital. I was my, my, our son was living with us. He was about 24 at the time. He came in. He's like, mom, you're so sick. He, he got me water. They got me water. I slept for 36 hours that Sunday morning. I was finally feeling better, crawled out of that bed and found my vodka bottle and drank it. Then I went to the liquor store, bought some more, drank that. And then there was the family vodka, which I found, drank that, put water in it so they wouldn't know, quote, wouldn't know, passed out. So then Monday comes, my husband goes to work. Apparently he had called my sister that morning. This is the weirdest thing and said, "I, I don't know what to do anymore. This is getting really bad. My son came home from work early. He said, mom, dad, and I know you put the water in the vodka bottle. What, you know, and he's like so upset. Something is wrong with you, mom. Oh my gosh. And of course I argued with him, went outside and had a cigarette, <laughs> went in the garage and he came out and he's like, mom, mom. And I just looked at him. I started sobbing and I said, Nick, call dad. I'm already drunk. I have to go to rehab. And that was it, that my bottom was my son telling me that I did that because it would have been the opposite way. The mother would have said to the son, you put water in the vodka bottle. And I I don't know, I always, I guess, had prided myself on being a good mom and trying to be the best mom. And here it turns out my son has to tell me. And it was just awful. That's a rough bot. I get, I didn't, I'm not a 12 stepper and I, I try to make that clear on the show. I love people's path, whatever their path is. Right. And the concept of surrendering is such an important one because you do have to, the only term that works is surrendering. If they're pre sobriety, meaning they're actively using that moment of surrender, it it's so important because you put it all down. You, you can, you make the choice to say, I've had enough of this shit. Mm-hmm. I can't fight this and win on my own. I need help. I am sick. And then you you begin the cleansing and the healing process. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I'm not here to paint pictures. I mean, it, it's pretty, it can get fucking ugly and rough and it's scary and it hurts. 
and it, it and it's a constant battle. But you you feel so good and bad that moment because usually you're bouncing. At least I, I bounced off the bottom when I when I surrendered. I was bouncing for years along the bottom. Mm. So I I think that whatever that moment is, uh, I've had other guests that you know, were didn't quite hit the bottom and they, they, they surrendered and good for them. That is wonderful. Yeah. But like you, I had a rough bottom. I had a rough bottom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I almost, you know, sometimes at first I would feel embarrassed, like, okay, so your kid said you put water, you know, cause I had heard of all these horrible bottoms where like people lost everything and yeah. you know, that whole, their jobs, their homes, their families, the, you know, but I, my counselor, I went to the Ridge of Ohio and my counselor there said, Pam, everybody's bottom is everybody's bottom. Right. We're not comparing here. Yeah. Um, for me, it was devastating. So For sure. It, absolutely. Because the, the reason I know how hard it must have hurt is because you opened with uh, how proud you were as mama bear. And yeah. I know that if your son telling you, you know, the reality of things, how must, how, how that must have hurt so. Like it, it, that soul wrenching pain, I would think. Mm-hmm. And I get it. My my son one time, I always get upset, so I'm gonna try to get through this. But he, my my wife still does, and she serves at a restaurant and a bar, and she a couple days a week, and it's wonderful because she gets out and gets yeah. to be with adults, which is nice, and she right. makes a little money. It's great. But my son would sit upstairs by himself on the couch watching movies. I would put on so, and I would stay in the garage and drink, smoke, and do cocaine. And and I I asked him one day if he wanted to see. Um, I can't even remember the name of the movie. I've tried to block it out, but it was a Disney movie. And I say, oh, you want to watch that together? And he's like, dad, I've, I've watched that many times when you were drinking in the garage. I, you know, if people haven't experienced that pain of what I just described of their son telling you that, it's hard to understand. But think about how that makes being sober, being recovered now, how hard that hits me. And I keep it fresh in my mind as a strength now. Where I, I, that is no longer the case for me. Like we're active and we watch movies and we hang out, but that pain hits hard, really hard. And it's very sharp and, and the edges never, they never dull in that, in that regard. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You know, parenting is anguishing enough as a sober person. And then for us, it's that much more bigger because of what we were also doing. You know what I mean? Definitely. And I often wonder if I've ruined them at this point. I, I hope not. I, I like I, I feel like I, I have time. I have enough runway to make it right. So and I work hard to make it right every day. And the one thing too that's funny, Pamela, is I, I struggle with some anger issues where just a lack of control or things not being in order or things out of out of sequence kind of drive me nuts. Little things like Dad, I didn't do my homework, and I, 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 it just, I have to work really hard to not get really pissed off, and, and it's from what I've learned through recovery is that it's just part of the process where you fly off. I, well, not everybody, but for me, it's I'm, it's an outward release of pressure, and that's how I do it, and it's, it's not fair, it's not okay, and I need to get better at it, but it sucks, you know, and the reality of that sucks. It sucks. I struggle with it every day, every damn day. And it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's as hard to learn how to control that yep. as to not pick up and use again. It's, it's harder. I feel Yeah. It in some ways. Yeah. 
But you know what? I, you know, the one hope um, is kids are resilient. You know, your, your kids are younger and they saw some stuff, but I do think kids are resilient. And I think if yeah. you're, you know, I asked my boys forgiveness and, you know, and all of that, we talked things through, they just wanted me to get better. So they were really easy than me that way. Thank God. But they right. they are. And you know no. what? Guess what? Regular parents get crazy and mad too. Right. <laughs> you know what that's I mean? True. Totally true. That's, that's true. And, and we're hard on ourselves and we should yeah. be. But um, but but I, I get that. So you go to recovery. Yeah. And what what was that process like? Did you you go to an inpatient? Yes. Or? I went I went to a place that only had 14 people. Mm. And um, it was a big old house um, out, a little outside of Cincinnati, the ridge. I'll tell you I'll tell you what happened there. So, you know, you're I was afraid. I don't know about you, but like here I just surrendered. But man, there's a lot of fear. There's I don't know what's oh, yeah. going to happen. Um, you know, my husband was just like, you know, he was tired of me. I mean, he was angry and I get it. The great thing about this place was they did family sessions and they explained like what our disease was. And, you know, cause our, our family thinks we're just weak or rotten. Definitely. You know what Definitely. I mean? Yeah. And they, and he really learned that this was a disease and this is what, what happens and all of that. So thank God for that. But here's, I just, I really want to say one thing about Please. going into rehab. Day one, this is another like God moment or or higher power moment, whatever you want to use. I use God. Sure. So, you know, I get there and, you know, unpack my stuff, whatever. And they give you this binder of, and it's going to be your worksheet stuff. And the first page was, has these, you know, 50 things happened when you were drinking? And I remember looking at it and I thought, oh, my God, I cannot check all of these boxes. I mean, if I check all of these boxes, I mean, this is who I am. I yeah. was I, I was I wanted to throw up. I, I was like, oh, my God, how did this happen? I mean, it was. But do you know what? I don't know what happened. But I just I just sat back for a moment and I told myself, if I don't if I'm not honest and I don't check this off, I am never going to get better. And I did. Yeah. And from there on in, I was honest about everything because I had to I had to get away out of the darkness. And if I wasn't going to say everything, then I, I wasn't going to make it. I really believed that. And so I really worked hard for those 28 days. I mean, I did everything they asked me to, you know, wrote all the stuff, went to every session. I mean, everything. I thought I got to get better. So you gotta stare it down. I couldn't agree more. You have to own it. You have to yep. admit it. You have to be transparent about it. You have to be open with the people that you love so that you can work through it. Cause if you keep this, a, a guest uh, on another episode said, uh, the alcohol wasn't killing me, but my secrets about alcoholism mm. were killing me. The secrets were where the sharp edges lie. And I agree with that. I yeah. think because that's where you can manipulate and bullshit and continue the bad habits because you're hiding and all those things. And, and I agree. I think you have to face the ugliness. You have to stare it down and fight the fight every day. And it, yes, the first month is brutal, but it's really hard. And, it, and it's it's hard today, three years in, and I have my moments, but it's a different kind of hard now. And, and I'm not saying it's easier. I'm just saying it's a different struggle. I'm three years in, but the first month is a bitch. It's a bitch. Uh, it's, it's, you'll, you'll find parts of yourself. You have to dig deep, but once you put it down and once you commit to digging deep and you've had enough and you've surrendered, 
you can win the fight and you will win the fight. You just have to fight the fight. That's the most important thing. Don't bullshit yourself. Own everything. So I, I can imagine staring down that checklist and you're thinking, if I check every one of these boxes, holy shit. Yeah. But I get it. I totally yeah. get that. Well, because you're looking at yourself on paper, basically, and, you, and you're like, that isn't me. How could that possibly be me? But it is. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. the ugliness was staring me in, in right in my face. So oh, horrific. It must have been horrible. From the family part of it, did they get an opportunity to tell you how they felt? Was it an open dialogue or was it really about educating them on where you were coming from? So, yeah, basically we they would do this program and then, you know, that went on for like an hour or two. I can't remember. You know, the thing I, I want to say is, you know, our first year, our body is is healing our brains. I mean, some of it is kind of a a blur sure. a little bit. Yeah. You know, they explained about relationships and, and that they need to give us time. Like, don't expect everything overnight, Yeah, you know, and all of that. And then we were able to go out to lunch with them, but it was tense. You know, I mean, my husband was still angry, a lot of, you know, all this stuff, you know, it was tense. And um, we had a yeah. family, then they do a family meeting at the end just as you're about to leave like suggestions and stuff and everybody had their opinion. And the counselor is basically like, no, this is really up to her. It's not really you got, I mean, you got to be there. You got to support, but you can't control it. She's got to be the one. So they were amazing. I I'm grateful for that, that place. They, they really saved me. How those moments uh, are, are created in heaven. I believe like they, Mm -hmm. they have these people that do this and, and, and literally save lives. I mean, it's, It is truly amazing. And they give you hope. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that they give you hope that you can do it. You can make it. And they help you do that because you have to do it yourself, but they give you the tools to do it because that's part of it. I didn't know where the hell to begin. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know who to talk to. So yeah. I muddled through. I should have gone to AA. I did not, but yeah. I did it. And, and that's the thing. I, I love that it gives you the compass to use to find your way out of the darkness. It's yeah. truly amazing. It is. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, I'm still very affiliated with them now, um, with my book and helping people and all of that. I do, I do little talks for them and stuff. And I, every, every year on my, on July 15th, so July 15th, 2014, I got sober. I text my counselor who's still there. (laughs) My other, I do. I still think they hold special places in my heart. Definitely. You know, I'm grateful. It's amazing. It truly is. And there's bonds there, the fellowship. And it it really is. There is a fellowship out there of addicts getting sober, staying sober, helping each other in recovery. It truly is a fellowship and a bond that is unbreakable, really, because we've been through some shit and we can't bullshit each other. We know what's going on and we've lived through some pretty rough stuff. Yeah. Uh, And that, that, that's amazing. So what, what is, What's life like now that you have been, so you've been sober? A little over six years. I was so six years in July. That is so wonderful. I love that. I love that. And one of the best things I saw, I was, one of the guests came on and and she'd been sober, gosh, 30 years. Uh, And like, it's so impressive. And she still goes and is dedicated to the meetings and going to the uh, rooms. And she says at this point, yes, I go for myself, but I go to give hope to somebody else's who's it's their first day so that somebody could say in when she tells her story and shares her story. um, And I could be getting the the number of years sober wrong. So forgive me when people hear her story about how bad it was 
and they think to themselves quite the opposite of I couldn't be that bad if I you know she's bad but what what she's doing quite the opposite saying this is how bad I was and I've got say 30 years sober your first day you can do it too and I love that part of it I think mm-hmm. that's the magic and that's because this podcast isn't a gladiator school. We don't talk about how to do this or to do that. No, and we, and no. I try not to spend a lot of time in the in the trenches of the ugliness. Although we touch on it a little bit so people get an understanding of kind of where things were. Mm-hmm. But I, my favorite part is coming up and, and what life is like now and, and yeah. your wonderful book. And, and what, what what is life with your with your kids and your husband like now? So, okay. Um, oh, it's just amazing. You know what? I, I just want to say this before I get into it is, yeah. People will say, oh, don't you miss alcohol? Or you're going, we're not good with alcohol. We're not good people. Right. Like, it does nothing for us. <laughs> exactly. Like, hello. I, 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 it's not even, I mean, it's funny, but it's not. It's like, do you remember what I was like when I drank? Like, you don't right. want that. You don't want no. that person. <laughs> no. And, and I'll also say this uh, not only do I not miss it, I like myself more now. Yeah. I, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I enjoy socializing at different levels. I go to bed at a normal time. I wake up at a normal time. I'm completely active and productive all day. I participate in in all in the people's lives around me, my children. So no, not only do I not miss it, I have zero interest in going back. Oh, um, that's not to yeah. say that I could slip. I, I, I take my recovery seriously, right. but- I don't know. I don't miss it. So to those people that wonder, don't you miss getting drunk? Hell no, I don't. I, you know, not at all. What? Forget it. I mean, I was, I, no chance. I mean, because all it was, was living in the dark voice of our head 24 it's, hours a day. Right. Chasing <laughs> it. It wasn't a disco party. It wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't any of that. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like a couple of glasses of champagne with some friends for twenty or thirty minutes. We're talking about deep, dark runs of alcoholism, yeah. and they don't. People don't realize. So that's the other part that if I told people how, let's say that I'm just talking to a normal person, a civilian that didn't have issues like I did, right? When I when they hear my episode because I'm episode one, they look at me like, what the fuck. <laughs> It, you know, like, and, and I'm like, listen, that that's just, that's not even the half of it. Like I, I, because I had to keep it in a, in a concise time frame so people could listen and, 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 and participate. But yeah, I mean, it, no, I don't miss it because they don't know how nasty it gets when you go two weeks without showering because you're shit faced, right. you know, and the whole litany of things that go on with that. So no, I don't miss it. You don't miss it. And yeah. there's nothing to miss. I, I, I miss nothing of it. Nothing. Well, I mean, I mean, normal, I always say this, normal drinkers, they're not plotting when they're going to drink. They're not drinking after the party. They're not, they're not looking for their bottle in a lacrosse bag. They're not like, they don't have any of that. It's like you people need to jump in our head for a day and see the way we actually live. It's not fun. That's right. That's perfectly stated. No, you're right. The compulsion isn't there for normal people uh-huh. that don't have an issue. And when you have that compulsion, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And it never ends. It it only ends when you completely surrender and submit. And most times it comes with a very hard fall. Yeah. Yeah. So I love my life. I do not ever want to drink again. I was immediate the day I got out of rehab. I went to an AA meeting that night that has now become my home group, which was my very first meeting ever. So it's kind of weird how it all worked out. The cool thing is my husband and son went with me to hear everybody. And there's, 
Yeah. And there's these guys that are my friends t- today that took them aside after the meeting and kind of coached them a little bit about how I was going to be a little crazy for a while. And, and it, <laughs> you know, and I was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that was just amazing. And I prayed for, a, you know, a sponsor. And ironically enough, her ex-husband had coached my kids in football. And she walks into this meeting and I said, Carol, are you supposed to be here? And she goes, I don't know, Pam, are you? And we mm-hmm. laughed. And we've been friends. I mean, we are been friends ever since. The other, the one thing I want to say, because, you know, the promises, I really believe in the promises, big and small. I mean, you know, small was I'm drinking coffee in the morning and I'm not throwing up. Small is the sun is shining and I can see it. You know, I started out with all of that. And one of the, um, one of the amazing promises in my life is a, my family is repaired And the other one was, I always wanted to get back to Michigan. I always loved Northern Michigan. And we closed on this cottage on my one year sober anniversary. That's amazing. Yeah. I got the chills just now. I know. From that one. It's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's the, those are the moments. That's everything that, that your family is in good shape and repaired. You have a wonderful relationship with them. You haven't drank in six years and you have, you, you've gone back to your roots, which I think in, in Northern Michigan, with, yeah. but I think that that's, yeah. that's magical. And the uh, one I thing I want to say though, uh, cause family repair, it doesn't happen overnight. I really want to make sure people know this. It took a year, like some things were like a year or two. Like it, Oh yeah. it's like a lot of people think, oh, they're going to magically love me again. And we're going to have this kumbaya moment. It wasn't, it was hard work. You got to fight the fight and, and you have to stay dedicated and focused on it. And you have to be, I had to learn that just as much as I was an alcoholic, she was married to an alcoholic yeah. and there's some different issues and struggles there. And my children were, the, the children of an alcoholic and there's right. some different things. And it taught me patience at different levels on to understand and hear them and appreciate and respect where they're coming from and not take things personally, mm-hmm. but look at where it's taking us. Yeah. So for people listening, the one thing that's important, I think in recovery is to accept what's being, what, what you're being told from right. the people, take it from a good place, even if they're yelling or screaming or crying or blaming, it's all good. Take it, own it, take responsibility for it, and then look to where it's going to take you for, for the next step. I think that's such a big deal yeah. uh, because it helps you get through those moments when you are frustrated, embarrassed, angry, yeah. humiliated, because yeah. all that stuff doesn't go away. We're people and it sticks and you have to learn, you have to take ownership of that. And I think that, that that's been very eye-opening for me as well, because I, being an alcoholic, I was an egomaniac narcissistic, lied, hid, all that bullshit. (laughs) And I probably still am all of those things, except I take ownership for that stuff now. And I don't let it get in the way, Yeah, Um, which, which is a a flip of the script, so to speak, where before, ah, screw it, I'll do what I want. And, you know, and didn't give a shit about what the fallout of that was. Right. Now I take ownership and, and I had to, you know, I had some issues of my own where I had relationship struggles where I was codependent. And I hate to sometimes say that because it's kind of a buzzword and everybody says it. And, but, but I had some, I had some dependency issues where I had to be liked and loved by everyone. Even if I didn't know who the hell they were, if I worked with them, stuff like that, I, it really mattered to me. And it took a long time to get used to the fact to say, 
I don't give a shit what you think. I don't have to be an asshole about it. And and you cannot like me. And you can be mean to me. I don't care. Yeah. I, I just know I'm a good person. I'm not being mean or rude to you. And if you don't like me, then fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. And it took a long time to get there. And that was a big step for me, Pamela, where, where to be okay with people either liking me or not and just moving on with my life. Mm-hmm. I, where I would just dig holes and tr- struggle to figure out why don't they like me? What did I do wrong? What did I say? And come to find out that that's, you know, dealing, living with an alcoholic as a child of one. And you blame yourself and there's some other issues there. Again, I'm not blaming my father, but that was some of the fallout, unfortunately, that I had to, that's some of the baggage I had to put down and figure out how to unpack on my own. And I thankfully am in the process now in a good way to do that. Well, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about recovery, I really believe this, is we get to discover who we really are finally. Finally, after all that time that we go on this journey, we discover who we are, we transform, we find our gifts. I was always telling myself what a bad person I was. Well, now I I know what some of my gifts are now and I can say that I could never say that before. So, you know, we grow and we discover and it's it's amazing, but it's hard work, but it's amazing. It is hard work. And I, I like to say that people in recovery, that's their superpower is fighting the fight every day and, yeah. and winning the fight every day. Even though you might not take a step forward, we don't take steps back. Right. And that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And I, what I mean by a step back is, yes, people uh, slip sometimes. And what I'm saying is you, you you still have that thread of power that you've given yourself because you've surrendered and things. And and I love that. It's my, I refer, refer to it all the time on the show as a superpower. And, yeah. and it's one I'm very proud of. Yeah, yeah. So just as in, sure. in closing, I'd love to hear more about your book. If you don't mind, maybe oh. share a little bit of detail about your book. Sure. And can- okay. How would I describe it? So basically, my counselor in the Ridge knew that I was a writer. And she told me, just write stuff down when you get home. You want to have a drink, whatever. And I just was writing, like, all this stuff down. I just, oh, like when I would get the cold shoulder or when I was screaming to God about, you know, help me and and then I kind of started calming down and I started writing about the little triumphs and I never planned on a book. And all of a sudden this one day, I'm like 90 meetings, 90 days. These are 90 pieces of paper. I'm going to put it together. And I it, I titled it Letting Go of the Thief because the beginning of the book was a letter to my family on Christmas Eve. The Polish people do Quatic and we ask for forgiveness and I read it out loud to them and it was trying to explain what happened. And then I decided, well, I'm going to put that at the beginning because the thief comes to kill and destroy. And we now have life and we can throw the thief away. It There was all these God moments, but it, it came along. This was the very first picture I found. And I was like, this is it. This is it. Everybody wanted a bottle or something. I said, no, everybody does the bottle. <laughs> so basically it's just about our chattering mind both sober and yeah. no I never read a book on that I'm like why isn't anybody talking about all this crazy mind stuff yeah. so it's doing really good Twitter has served me well I love it uh, it's selling over in England and Ireland and Canada and um, and I'm really grateful and I and I will tell you the one quick thing and then I'll be done Um, so I, I was, I, I hate promoting, hate it. It's not yeah. my gig. <laughs> and when lockdown started, I decided I'm not going to promote it on Twitter. I'm just going to help people put the book down, 
got all these followers, was trying to help everybody. And do you know that within a month it was selling? I wasn't doing any promotion. And a friend of mine said attraction rather than promotion. I love that. And I, I love I my Twitter that. family. I love them. They they mean a whole lot to me. They, they've encouraged me and supported me, and I'm really grateful. That's how I met you. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we crossed. Personally, I am not – I don't like promotion either. I agree with you. It's about attraction. But the one thing, just to steal a term, because um, I think it's amazing. But uh, one thing I will say, I wasn't a fan of social media. I didn't. I hated it. I, it just it presented yeah. everything ugly in my mind about what the world has come to. But what I have found, and I will say in fairness, the family that I have found, and I will say family of, of sober friends and family on Twitter and other places that I have found have been so wonderful and supportive. Yeah. Part of my day, every single day, is to go give a little sunshine to people that need it. Because you always get the people I'm struggling today or today's yeah. my first day or I slipped and I give them a little love and sunshine. Yeah. And I love that yeah. because it helps those little moments, those things, just taking that extra second for somebody else and giving to them is wonderful. And people have been so supportive of me yeah. on my struggling days and helping not only find guests, but make connections like you, Pamela, which I've been so grateful for in all this because everyone's helping one another get and stay healthy, which in sober, and it's, it's truly been amazing. And, and I believe, I believe out of anything, my book or whatever, whatever outside success, I I'm all about saving that next person. And I always had hoped that this book would do that and keep the, I, for the alcoholic, but now what I find is the families love it. Cause now they get it. It's helping a lot of people get it. They're like, wow, I didn't know you thought like that. So, you know, I, I want healing for, I really do. I want healing for everyone. That's my main thing. Isn't it great? It, it's been yes. so wonderful, Pamela, getting to know you and having you on yes. the show. Thank, Thank you for you. taking the time. You are, I really you are, it. I felt so comfortable. I was a little nervous. I'm like, well, but you've been amazing. I feel like we've been friends for years. I love it. And when I am in Cincinnati, I will look you up and we will go out and get a little, a little skyline if we can make it happen. Absolutely. I would love that. So thank you so God very bless much. And with your family and I wish you much, much success. I'll be retweeting your podcast. So you I'll help promote. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Good night.